imagining things because that just causes you to fool yourself. Um, does anyone here play chess? I've attempted to. You've attempted to. Okay. So this analogy is going to be less than useful, but um, we'll, we'll attempt anyway. Um, there was a, a very famous chess player named Bobby Fischer. You've heard of Bobby Fischer? Maybe. Mm -hmm. So Bobby Fischer, one time there was a chess competition where he played, I think it was 200 games at once. It was like an auditorium, and he had a bunch of people, and they all had a chessboard. And he walked down the rows of tables, and he made a move. He just walked to the table, and, he, and when he finished, he came back around and made his next move. And so in between time, you got time to make your move. Can you imagine playing chess like that? How do you do that? How do you, how do you get to the place where you can play chess like that? Just know every single possible moving combination. And you know, you just know the, you just look at your board, look at the board, and you know what the right move to do it. Right, but how do you? How, what do you mean you just know? Like, how do you just know? Play a lot of chess. Okay, so the thing is like this. So, in chess, the pieces move in different ways. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's just you take the example. There's a piece called the rook. It can move horizontally and it can move vertically. Okay, if you play enough chess, you know what starts to happen when you look at a chessboard. You see in your mind's eye lines coming out vertically and horizontally from every rook. You, you not, there's not like you don't see them on the board, like actually, but when you look at the board, you see them. And you see diagonal lines coming out of bishops. I mean, this, by the way, this is, that's the something like most, most people play chess get to this point. Okay. In other words, what do you start to see? You start to see not what's there, but you start seeing the relationships, right? Well, if that process builds and builds and builds and builds and builds on itself, you start seeing very complex relationships and you just, as you say, you see them, right? You see that if these pieces are in this arrangement, they have this relationship, which means five moves down the road, right? It, that, that's what would end up happening and you see that. And so therefore, do you strategize when you play a game against a person who's like a generally good player but not world-class? No, you don't really need to strategize. You can see the relationships on the board and so you just, okay? And this, by the way, true in many things. In any area, when the more you engage it and work with it, your mind starts to see the relationships there. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I teach Gemara. Gemara has a very complex structure. And you know one of the annoying things in teaching Gemara is? It's true of teaching anything. Is that as the teacher of Gemara, I look at the page of Gemara and I see what's going on. And the students... They can't see it. That's not what's annoying. What's annoying is when you point it out and they, they still don't see it. Right? Now, what does it mean to have a good student and to have a good teacher? Is that over time, what happens? They start seeing things. Not in the sense that you're crazy seeing things, right? Okay. So... If you relate to Ashkaha Pratis as something that you have to see, right? You don't see it like, you're not going to see like sparkly lights coming down from heaven, right? That means you have to start training you the way you process reality to noticing relationships, okay? So I'm just going to start, because we only have five minutes left, start on, on, talk about two things. Number one is God, okay? And number two is the world. God is good. 
the more that I work to really get, wrap my head around that, that God is good. And so if someone says like God is cruel, to me that would just sound like, oh, it would be something crazy. If I, if I, avoiding if, evidence? No, it wouldn't even sound like avoiding evidence. If I were to tell you that the square root of 25 is a pineapple, mm -hmm. you would think that that's just silly, right? You, you would say that's not even wrong. Because you're looking at it. Yeah, you're using words. You, if, if you mean what you say, then you're using words differently than the way I'm using the words, right? We're just not even on the same page, right? That the, 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 what it is to be God and goodness are so intrinsically linked that the notion of a cruel God is just nonsensical to you. So we're really working on that. Okay, here's another thing. The world is extremely complex. Okay? So take all sorts of things in your life that worked out pretty decently. Yeah. And now think about how much complexity goes into that. For instance, I was able to go to the bathroom right now. How much complexity was involved in that? Anyone here studied biology? That's incredibly complicated, right? How about the societal development such that their bathroom is readily available? Right? The more you start going into how everything has to work in order for any one thing to actually occur, right? What you start to realize the incredible amount of coordination and precision and in, um, in order to bring about even the most mundane event, right? Now put those two things together. God is intrinsically good. The world is incredibly complex in order for anything constructive to actually happen. What does that kind of speak of, say about his relationship, God's goodness and the complexity of the world? Are they distant and remote? Or are they very bound up with each other? Because if God is good, good things are happening, good things are incredibly complicated to actually occur. Right? There's a billion ways things could not work out, and yet they are working out. Right? You're not falling off of the chair. Right? The ceiling did not collapse. Right? The bathrooms are there, right? There's a, right? et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So where does that mean? Where is God's goodness found? It's permeating everything, right? Now, I'm just saying this is what's called in Hebrew, Rosh Hashanah, as like ideas. But if a person really plays around with them, like a person who plays chess and they keep playing and they expand this and they examine it that way, it starts to change how they perceive reality, not what they believe. And now, when something happens, do they have to tell them to remind themselves, remember that it's all divine providence? Or they just, they see it. And even if they don't see the goodness in it, it's so obvious that there's a goodness in it. It's part of the complexity way the goodness of God brings out goodness in the world through some complex thing that I may not see yet, but of course that's what's happening because that's the nature of the relationship. So if you really work on that, and a practical way of working that, by the way, is just think about the complexity of what goes on in your life, right? how things work out in your life. Everything from being able to go to the bathroom to like the fact that your parents met, <laughs> right? And then concurrently with that, really, really trying to come to a, an understanding of God that's, a, that's less, you know, hand wavy and, you know, pie in the sky and more and more rigorous, more and has more integrity to it. Then yeah, you start the idea of seeing divine providence. And then your soul becomes able to live with Hashem in a much more real way. So that would be, a, that would be an approach to tshuva. Is it the only way to, to approach tshuva? No. There's a lot of things you could do, right? 
But the idea is to try and live more with God, make, make life about being with Him than about anything else. That's the truth of the 10 days of tshuva. It's not, I messed up, please forgive me. Again, I'm not saying that there's no place for that. We do say slichas, there's a thing, right? But, but that's not really what it's about. And the, the ability for the soul to really do that, to make that change, which is hard, is that it feels the pain of the exile. And what allows it to feel the pain of the exile is that Hashem comes close and says, I'm here, I'm there. And so that, that both creates the impetus and the support for that whole process. Does that look like just acknowledging, the, like saying it out loud? What does that look like? Well, it's going to vary from person to person, right? For some of us, all it means is learning about these ideas because it takes time just to reorient ourselves. Right? I mean, one of the things about any idea that you learn in Hasidus is that what it means truly, truly in practice varies from person to person. Right? Um, so even learning about something and learning to dis- aspire to aspire to it is already progress, right? That's already something. For some people, that's not progress at all. That's like obvious. Like, like to suffice with that is just set lowering their standards. It depends who you are, where you are in life. And, you know, no one's no certainly not a teacher who doesn't know you can't from you know, the pulpit just prescribe, right? That's why it's good to have a mentor. But the essence of the matter is, yes, the soul feels the pain of the exile because Hashem is so close. The soul wants to make a change. Now the question is, are we as people going to try and be in tune with that? Try and return to a, a life that is more centered around being close to Him. And one example of ways to do that is to really work on our sense of hashgacha practice of divine providence in an honest way, in a genuine way. So that's not the only way, it's just one option. There are others. Um, I want to make a plug for this there's a book. Where's the hanging room? There should be a hanging room somewhere right here. Okay. Well, I don't see it. There's a book called The Hayom Yom, which is a bunch of sayings. Um, and in the 10 days of tshuva, there's a, what? It's over there, okay. So in, 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 the, in, in the 10 days of tshuva, there is a teaching of the famous Hasidic master, Bzushar of Anapoli, where he breaks the idea of tshuva down into different subcomponents based on the Hebrew acronym of the word tshuva. And um, one of them is about divine providence. So he starts, he says, tshuva is very lofty. What does it mean to return to God is very lofty? How do I make, like, what are some more, you know, breaking that into like different avenues, different modes. And so if you want to see different ways of things are, you know, orientations of what it means to try and focus on living a more godly life. Right? So you can look in the entries for the 10 days of tshuva there. There's every day. It goes through one different modes of tshuva. But you'll notice that none of them really have to do with I sinned. Please God forgive me. Because 10 days of tshuva is higher than that. Good? Mm-hmm. Alright. Tomorrow we'll learn about Yom Kippur. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Did Thank you very much. Yes. Okay.